0: Oh, benvenuto a Get Me Another. Mi chiamo Cristiano Cone e con mi c'è in e mi condore Rob Mi italiano è molto buono. <laughs> this is episode five in our Get Me Another Indiana Jones series, and today, if you haven't already guessed, we'll be taking a trip across the Atlantic to Italy with three films from director Antonio Margheriti. Now, one thing we found in creating this show is that nobody can jump on a trend quicker or more comprehensively than the Italians. Where American filmmakers might make a couple of movies to capitalize on a blockbuster, Italian filmmakers will make dozens. In some of our previous series, particularly Star Wars and Conan the Barbarian, we had to pick and choose which Italian films to include because there were just so many. And you're talking about a Sophie's Choice, man. Oh, yeah. It's like. <laughs> Oh, boy. And that was also true here. But we realized that Antonio Margariti, who made one of our great discoveries from Get Me Another Star Wars, You're the Hunter from the Future, had made not one, not two, but three Indiana Jones-inspired movies. And we said... What the hell? Let's just do them all.
1: Oh, yeah. We had to go through the whole triptych of uh, Antonio Margariti. <laughs> I, I had Brothers. a
0: great time with it. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited to talk about these movies. are bonkers. And I just found them so endearing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and by the way... If you haven't listened to our You're the Hunter from the Future episode, it is Get Me Another Star Wars Episode 7, and I can't recommend it enough. It's one of our favorite episodes we've done. And
1: and I'll go one further. This goes beyond promoting our own podcast. Don't even listen to us. Just go watch You're the Hunter from the Future.
0: Absolutely.
1: Afterward, you'll probably want to listen to us because, you know, we're semi-entertaining at times.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But first up today is the Hunters of the Golden Cobra.
2: Wait a minute. That's the cobra I saw by the dead body of the double agent in the jungle. And the cobra is what we want you to recover. It's a sacred symbol of the Amok race.
3: Our aim is to return
2: it to the legal government of these islands, currently our staunch allies.
3: If this priceless object should fall into the wrong hands, all of Southeast Asia could be destabilized.
2: The Golden Cobra is worshipped by millions of people all over the Far East for diverse reasons. The Amox could utilize it to provoke a holy war. With God only knows what consequences. Oh, come on, come on. The Amox have been washed up for years. No one's ever heard of them nowadays. I'm afraid that's not true. They've been reorganizing of late and putting their signatures to quite a lot of the atrocities. There's a chap called Sipura. Who it appears, he's putting them up to it. And some say he's the reincarnation of their first high priest. Call it superstition. But millions of people in Asia believe that this golden cobra possesses some sort of supernatural power. A destructive force that we can't even imagine. You can tell that to the natives, but I'm not buying it.
0: Originally released in 1982, although it wouldn't come out in the U.S. until 1984, The Hunters of the Golden Cobra is one of the earliest films we'll look at in this series. Written by Tito Carpi and Gianfranco Coyungian, the film stars David Warbeck as American soldier Bob Jackson. And John Steiner as British soldier David Franks, the best drunk British soldier in the history of cinema. You know he's British because <laughs> literally the first thing he says is "I say, old boy," like it's it's <laughs> oh, perfect. Like he's I, he's so he good. Is,
1: I mean, there's so many good things about this movie, but I have he is an all star in this movie.
0: Absolutely, I, he is he I is am, great. Oh, I am smitten. Oh. <laughs> it also stars. Almanta Susca and Alan Collins, real name, Luciano Pagosi, who is in all three of today's movies, as well as You're the Hunter from the Future. Uh he was Antonio Margheriti's guy for sure. And and has uh
1: in many other wonderful Italian movies, I believe, including Blood and Black Lace. Yep. Uh amongst many others. And he also is is an all-star throughout the uh all, all three films today. Oh, yeah. for
0: sure. For sure. As with You're the Hunter from the Future, the version we watched of all three of these movies carries Antonio Margheriti's American pseudonym, Anthony M. Dawson. And if you're not familiar, Antonio Margheriti had a lengthy career in Italian cinema, ranging over three decades and covering every genre you can imagine. From science fiction to spy movies to horror to westerns to everything in between, he's even mentioned in Quentin Tarantino's *Once Upon a Time in Hollywood* as the director of the Euro spy movie *Upper Zone, Dynamite*. The, that actor, Rick Dalton, stars in during his time making movies in Italy. He's a uh, he's one of the giants, and I just I I, I became even more of a Margariti fan after these three movies.
1: A- absolutely, and I know I know we're gonna get later in this episode, we're going to get to some more Antonio Margariti and Rick Dalton material. Oh, time.
0: we will. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause there's a, there's a special thing with our third film, but we will, we will get there all in due yeah. time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, as we launch into Hunters of the Golden Cobra here, because this one we watched perhaps on uh, YouTube areas yeah. <laughs> and the, the print and the framing is not necessarily, uh, shall we say director approved. <laughs> so I just want to Throw that out there right now so that there were were some uh, challenges in watching this. But, you know, of the three so far, this is the one just leading into it where I thought uh, Antonio's direction wasn't quite, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't on par with what he does in Ark of the Sun God and Jungle Raiders. Yes.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, it's and and it's it's good. I mean, but it's it's not quite. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a, a fun movie. Yeah, it's a fun movie. And it, but there clearly there's a, a build. I think Ark of the Sun God was my favorite of the three. You know, uh, I think it might have also been the dumbest. But I I don't I don't know how to square those two. I don't know how to reconcile those things. I might disagree with you on that second part. But well. well- <laughs> There's something in Jungle Raiders, which is just the most. Well, we'll get to. Oh, we'll get to that. We have to talk about. We have to talk about Hunters of the Golden Cobra first. Oh my goodness, we open in the Philippines, which is where October, the film was shot. 1944 it is 1944 <laughs> uh, with Jackson and Franks on a commando raid on a Japanese base, and uh, you know, it, like here's the thing: these two characters, Jackson and Franks, are not terribly deep. Like, one's the gruff American, the other's the kind of cheerful Brit. If this were a big-budget World War II film of the 50s or 60s, these characters would have been played by William Holden and David Niven. Uh, But that said... I think they complement each other so well, and the dynamic between the two of them is so great. Even if it's not the deepest characters of all time ever, it's just, they're they're fun to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I am a fan of movies with subtext, but let's not forget the entertaining part of any movie is the text text. Yes. And not everything Look, some things can just be surface level, and that's fine yes i i feel that in some ways in the modern era we've all been conditioned a little bit especially if you're trying to think and you know do film criticism blah 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 but like everything needs to be about like the grand human condition or or trauma everything needs to
0: be about trauma rob
1: yeah or a grand political statement and look i'm all for that too sure but like sometimes you can make hunters of the golden cobra and and,
0: sometimes you just want to have a good time yeah now the the two commandos they are there to extract an agent working for the allies who's in charge of the camp and what they don't know is that the guy they're coming to get has betrayed both sides and is trying to escape with an object of immense power maybe I'm not clear if the object actually has immense power. That's another... Like, I, I, they say it does, but I'm not sure it, they actually show it. Uh, and we know all this because we he says exactly this to his commanding officer, who has showed up at the base at the same time before shooting him and escaping. And then, you know, you have it basically at a prolonged chase scene with Jackson and Franks chasing down this guy. And it just... Rob, this whole section of the story, and maybe this whole movie, I don't know, mm-hmm. feels like the story you'd make up playing with your GI Joe figures. And I honestly mean that in the best way possible.
1: Yeah, there is just a joyousness of you know what would be fun next. Yeah. And oh, we're going to really...
0: we're going to chase him on a motorcycle. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. when that's done, let's let's switch to airplanes because we got the, we got the you know, we got the Strikers. So let's use that. Like it's that kind of like just sort of oh, hey, let's just, what's next? <laughs> and and the one
1: thing that I will say, I know I just, you know, said that this is my least favorite of, of the direction for the three. The one area where that is not the case, where I think this is on par with all three, and frankly, you're the hunter from the future,
0: oh, yeah. is
1: the expert use of model work. Oh, yes. Which includes this this opening action sequence.
0: Absolutely. Oh, oh man. Oh, man. I'm going to coin a term here. It's yeah. Margarini miniatures. Yeah, and he he does these things where it's he he shoots these miniatures like you know sometimes rate like they use like radio controlled planes and oh, yeah. all three of these films and you're the hunter the from the future have this incredible miniature work and it is it is fantastic it may have been helped in this movie particular by the fact that the transfer was not so great sure i'm not sure that a 4k blu-ray would necessarily serve this movie although i would buy all three of these films on blu-ray if they were yeah. available in the united states
1: it, it, the weird thing i would i would term it as like this is the best possible version of like a sweated film uh, <laughs> to use the term from what sure. one. but the uh i just want to address the fact that these miniatures and model work they do not look real right no but to me but to me they don't take me out of the movie they are as unreal but in a much different direction as much of the cg work that you'll see in a movie now is unreal to me
0: correct
1: it, 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 so to me, it's not a question of is it real or not. It's like how is the design and is it cool? If you love Godzilla movies, for instance, yes, you will love Antonio Margariti's model and miniature work. Although I think it, at times these look slightly more realistic. Again, may have been helped by the uh, the the muddy grindhouse print that we saw <laughs> well, yeah
0: and, and he's filming you know things that are not he's not filming a giant monster you know uh crushing a city he's you know he's like oh here's a plane taking off from the runway or car crashes innumerable car crashes Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and it's great it's great like it's but i agree i couldn't agree with you more it's not that it's realistic but it is absolutely endearing and delightful and if you are going into a movie to have a good time let it entertain you, yeah. and this movie does that really well.
1: And, and I have a theory that all of this stuff plays better now, even though we're further from it, because I think post tilt shift. Yeah. Uh, once that technique became popularized, um, that in a way this feels a little tilt shift. It just doesn't have the blur around the edges. It's uh anyway. So I I just think it's cool. Oh, I I couldn't <laughs> agree more.
0: I I absolutely. Uh, I absolutely loved it. And you get this, you know, this whole sequence. I love the fact that the two allies are are dressed head to t- toe in black like they're ninjas. As opposed to, like, camo, which you had. You know, it's like, oh, no, they're like they're like ninjas, man. Which is why I keep thinking of G.I. Joe, because G.I. Joe loved ninjas. Like, there was, especially G.I. Joe of the 80s, loved ninjas. And that's the first thing I thought of. If Sapporo
1: winds up reminding me a little of Serpentor later on in this movie. <laughs> but that's... <laughs> That's all, you know, appearing Amazing. in mirrors. Yes, yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. So we, we get a, a, a motorcycle chase. Like the two heroes, they get on a motorcycle and a sidecar, and they're chasing down the bad guy. And then the bad guy gets to a plane and takes off. They get into a, a Japanese plane, and they steal a Japanese plane, take off and follow him. And the Japanese commander is having problems of his own because he gets into a fight with his own guys on the plane and ends up shooting his own pilot. So you know, great job there. And, and the plane goes down and Jackson parachutes out after the commander to continue the chase on the ground. And he finds the wreckage of the Japanese plane. And we see that the crate that the Japanese commander has been holding, he's been like carrying the whole time has been opened. So J- Jackson pursues the commander when all of a sudden the commander is struck dead by a whole lot of poison darts. One hits Jackson, too, and he's down. And we get a glimpse of the titular Golden Cobra, as well as a mysterious white woman wearing an Olivia Newton-John headband among the natives as Jackson falls back on a raft and floats down the river. Cut to one year later, which I just, I completely, it was like, yeah. wait, what? It cut to one year amazing yeah and the uh this was the
1: 80s post Raiders of the Lost Ark so blow dart guns and blow dart guns yep th- those are gonna be uh, this is something that features in all three and I, I want to call it out because it's you get the progression through all three of these movies where they keep kind of re they were clearly influenced by that opening of Raiders with that right? clearly oh yes but, but each time they actually get a little bit closer like in yeah. this one it's not really a chase; it just happens, and then it's over, and you're like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, sure." Uh, but you'll see the evolution of it if you if you watch all three of these movies, where they, they it gets the the blow dart gun stuff gets bigger and closer ish to what was in Raiders
0: until you the third one, Jungle Raiders. You get a sequence very much like the opening of Raiders, but with a twist, which obviously yes. we will get to in a little bit. But it's it's uh man. Uh, so, you know, we, we cut to one year later, which was, I just, I just did not expect that. Like of all the things that the, the card comes up one year later, I'm just like, wait, what? And, and Jackson, Jackson's now hanging out at, um, a cockfighting ring. I guess you call it a ring. Um, whatever, a place that where cockfighting goes on. Frank shows up and Frank's, you know, a year later, he wants to recruit Jackson for a mission. And Jack, what's Jackson's answer? Punch him in the face, yeah, as one does, as one does, yeah. and and soon the whole place turns into a complete free for all. It's amazing, and and Jackson and Frank's like once they've started this whole like cockfighting ring-wide fight, what do they do? They just sneak out amidst the chaos they've created, and just like oh well, hey, it's time to get out of here. Yeah, and this I loved in particular because this is like they
1: looked at Raiders and said oh we need a bar fight like they had except right. it's completely devoid of being connected to the story really at all, at it, all. It, 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 it's just there to be a bar fight and then even the main characters eventually realize
0: oh hey this doesn't matter to us and then they just leave they just Which, leave I lo- yes <laughs> oh and they, but they, all, they do establish that they are being followed by a mysterious man with glasses and a cigarette holder, who literally has his own sound effect that follows him as he appears from behind a column. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, next, we get the briefing scene, and this has got a, an amazing briefing Ooh scene. Boy. It's a oh, yeah. joint British-American mission, and the British officer in charge—I swear to God—looks like Bert Cooper from Mad Men, dressed up like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> As one does. Uh,
1: and this is a great point, right? Because, and I don't want to equate the effects of any of this, uh, so I just want to say that at, right out there. Of course. Uh, American movies aren't the only ones that traffic in weird bias uh, based on <laughs> ethnicity, nationality, oh, yes. race, gender, everything. And it yes. is it is, uh, interesting to see through that Italian eye how uh, Americans and British are depicted. <laughs> yeah, it's really... <laughs> And this is not the yeah. first time in these three movies that I just, I, I was all of a sudden, I, I felt like I was watching Danger 5, uh, <laughs> the
0: <laughs> Australian oh, series. You know, Danger 5 <laughs> just kind of popped into my head recently uh-huh. after I hadn't thought about it for a while. And then I just like watched the trailers. I'm like, oh my God, I love Danger 5. Yeah, I hope those guys do more stuff because it is so good. Yeah. A- everyone listening, go watch Danger 5. Uh, Danger okay. 5. Yes. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> So we get, this, we get this briefing scene and in a, an accompanying slideshow um, where we, get the, we learn that the object the Japanese commander stole is the golden cobra, which you have probably already guessed from the title of this movie. It's a statue of a cobra made out of gold that is the sacred symbol of the Amots people. And the British and the Americans want it to recover it so they can return it to its rightful owner, the current government that they are now allied with. Which is honestly the least believable thing in this entire movie. Yes, it is indeed.
1: <laughs> uh, I just assumed that that is a repressive government that they've installed as a puppet regime. Gotta in be. which case, it's there's more, no way. There's no way it's not. It's more believable that way. Yes.
0: Yeah. No. It's it's like it's like a thinly veiled Marcos no. regime in the Philippines. It's gotta be. Yeah,
1: and and you made your Burt Cooper reference, which is uh, you know very on point because. Uh, there was a moment in here which I was thinking, oh, this is the carousel. It's Don Draper <laughs> the carousel until it takes the turn. Until it takes the
0: turn. It's not the wheel. It's the carousel (laughs) So the fear is that the Amots, Who are led by this mysterious man named Sephora Could use the golden cobra To incite a holy war As it's said to have supernatural powers Now, one of those powers Seems to be making an extra slide of Sephora Appear in the projector And in fact, move as if it was a piece of film And Franks just keeps sitting there saying Supernatural power Supernatural power and it's just like, I don't know what that supernatural power is, but, you know, I'm buying it.
1: But there are some Scullies in this scene as well who think that uh, <laughs> the guy who set up the slideshow somehow turned it into a video camera, which doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> uh, it doesn't even like, exist yet. Like, it's 1945. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there, it's almost J.T. Stryker levels of disbelief about
0: the yes. supernatural that's happening right in front of their yes. face. Yes. Absolutely, uh, and then the lights come on, and an assassin attacks the group. Like it, and and the assassin comes out of like nowhere, and you know it, it takes like a dozen shots from a couple of guys with guns to to take the guy out. And uh, at least, unlike JT Stryker, Jackson agreed. We actually hear Jackson agree <laughs> yes. to go on the mission. We know that he's uh, on for, board yes. for forty thousand dollars. He'll do it for forty thousand dollars, and uh, it's it's. It, the whole briefing scene in this is fantastic. And we, we later learn, we soon learn, that the mysterious man in glasses is an American archaeologist named Greenwater who also wants in on the expedition. We'll get to that later. And I love... <laughs> Jackson is attacked in his hotel room. Like, he gets to his hotel, he's attacked in his hotel room. And what I love about Jackson is he fights... The way I would fight, which is that <laughs> all, awkwardly and ineffectively, like it's pretty clear that if he did not have Franks to bail him out in every fight, he would get his ass kicked, as would I.
1: Yes, and uh, what what makes this even funnier to me, and I know, and I know this actor is in the next movie, but not the third one, right? As the lead,
0: I missed him in the third one. I'll be honest, I I did too.
1: Yeah. What I what I found interesting is that. In ostensibly trying to recreate, make their own Indiana Jones, cap- capturing that magic, there is also, I feel, a lot of James Bond influence. Oh, absolutely! In the lead, where they they really are leaning into the spy aspect with the the governments and the military and all of that, in a way that you know Indiana Jones is a man outside the government. This is a man who is you know, a bit more inside than that. Yes. And they really kind of play with that, especially with the womanizing that happens uh, throughout. Oh yeah. It feels a little more of a piece and, and something
0: extra special as well later on. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) So Jackson and Franks have a mission now. They have, they formally have their mission. So what do they do next? Well, naturally they go and hang out at the the local hotel like and watch some local entertainers and just get absolutely plastered. Because that's what you do. And, and the local entertainment, by the way, involves like a group of dancers dancing all around and over a pair of bamboo poles. It's very cool. And if I were staying at like, you know, the Hilton Manila, I would totally stay for the for the floor show. It's, it's terrific.
1: And kudos to Hunters of the Golden Cobra for doing what most movies would not, which is let the ostensible hero get outdrank. Uh or out <laughs> yes. drinking maybe. I'm not sure how one says that. Out drunken. Out drunk. Drunken. Out drank
0: Yeah. Because uh, Franks, the British yeah. guy, gets more drunk than him. Like more drunk than the American.
1: And can handle it. Yeah. The American he cannot handle it. No. Bob is not not can't handle liquor. <laughs>
0: Oh, by the way, it's around this time that I think the movie forgets it's taking place in 1945. <laughs> like, honestly, I just, I did too. What, like it just, what is the like, Italian
1: word for continuity? Because I need to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that that was listed in the
0: credits. We do get in this, in this sequence, a genuine holy shit moment when Jackson sees, and he's drunk, sees the blonde girl from the island, walking outside the window. And I honestly had a moment where I'm like, oh, I did not see that coming. The woman who saved his life appearing here. The woman who saved his life in the Olivia Newton-John headband.
1: With, I cannot emphasize this enough, the greatest hair.
0: Oh, it's great. It's great hair. Oh, it's great hair. It's, it's, it is fantastic early 80s hair. Again, in a movie set in 1945, but it's, <laughs> it, it is terrific early 80s hair. We soon learn that the girl is the niece of the mysterious archaeologist Greenwater. And her name is Julie. And she has a twin sister who's the girl on the island. Here's the story. I'll tell it. <laughs> the parents of these two twin girls were Baptist missionaries who went to the island to spread Christianity. They took one twin with them and they left one at home, which is mind-boggling in and of itself would you either just take both or none like i don't understand why you take one is it like oh i have a backup at home in case we all get killed by cannibals i guess that's i don't know the one sister loved adventure
1: and the other sister had her <laughs> tests she she had a she was at the boarding school or whatever i mean it makes total sense to me oh yeah
0: well sure yeah no
1: yeah. you're right in, you're, you're right i'm, in, I'm, in a a t- I'm looking for some cobras <laughs> in a world of golden cobras chris
0: it's perfect <laughs> Oh, uh, I want that golden cobra statue. I do. I want that in my house. I put it over the fireplace.
1: I think it would look perfect uh, on Hog
0: Mountain. Oh, it
1: would, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh! My wife is very upset that I've taken up the whole dining room table working on the Hog Mountain playset. She's like, we, "We can't keep eating at the coffee table. We no. got to be able to sit down." You need time to paint it properly.
1: You delete paint it yes. build the
0: scale. It's yes. not you know. I gotta have the little electronics so the so the the statue rises <laughs> up. I gotta I gotta put in the noise for the alarms, like that ear piercing <laughs> noise. She's oh, yes. not great. She, my wife is not happy about me testing that. I swear. Oh God! Uh, if you haven't listened to our Treasure of the Four Crowns episode, this is all referencing to that, which is again I can't recommend enough. Uh, it's uh, another—I that thats a awfully self-serving, but I, you know, sometimes I'm actually happy with the things we do. <laughs> anyway, back to the Golden Cobra. Uh, Jackson and Franks agree to take Greenwater and Julie with them on their expedition, but what do they do, Rob? They promptly ditch them. They probably like, oh no, we're not doing. It. I just said that, you know, like. Like Jack, like it's it's amazing. Like Frank's the British guy's like, well, I told them that, but we're just going anyway. It's great. They're rascals, you know. Like I was so
1: hungover when I accepted. I can't. They can't (laughs) hold me to that. Are you kidding?
0: But what I love is so they they leave without them. And then later they stop for gas and Jackson's having a cigarette, which you should not smoke cigarettes around, you know, gas pumps. But, hey, you know, he's he's Bob Jackson. He does what he wants. And he sees Julie. And at first you're thinking like, oh, this is going to be awkward. But no, she kind of waves at him like everything's fine. And then she gets thrown in, uh, you know, the rug thrown over her face, and we get sort of the low rent version of the basket chase from Raiders. Uh, It's, it's, yeah, it's all. But like, she seemed okay until she got a rug thrown over her head.
1: (laughs) I mean, to be fair, that's pretty disorienting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't say enough how much I love Bob Jackson's fighting style. Like there's one moment in this chase sequence where he hits a dude with a loaf of bread. And I'm like, that is great. That is how I would do things. If I was in that situation, (laughs) I'd be, I'd reach for the nearest thing and just be, I'll smack you with a load of, a loaf of bread. I I love it. Yeah. I mean, little known
1: fact, uh, he baked a crowbar into that loaf of bread. (laughs)
0: It's (laughs) weapon. Yes. Jackson and Julie wind up in this subterranean chamber where they come face to face with Sephora, the leader of the Amots, as well as a whole lot of snakes, specifically cobras. And, you know, if you thought Indiana Jones had a lot of snakes, this has less than that, but it, it still got a lot and they're cool. Yeah, it's more than some of the other
1: ones. Uh, but this yes.
0: is, make no mistake... <laughs> a low rent well of the
1: souls like it's just yeah. they throw bob in a pit that feels like it's 3 feet below <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he sees one one skeleton one skull yep. and it's like presented as the the most shocking thing ever yes and then you get some snake some snake play you know, some, some snake I, mean, I snake play
0: yes there's like <laughs> The slight stake play. Whereas Indiana Jones comes face to face with a cobra. Jackson does so while upside down, like upside. Like he does it backwards and heels. For goodness' sake, like it, it's you know, there's a lot more to it. And and thankfully, Franks is there to rescue them. Yes, because otherwise, otherwise, Bob Jackson is screwed. Because uh, without Franks, he'd be in real trouble. Which is actually a brilliant setup for what happens next when Franks gets blown up real good. Oh, yeah. Boom. The, the, the truck he's in blows up and that's it for Franks. And I actually said to myself, oh, they're really screwed now because they don't have the British guy to bail them out.
1: Yeah, which is true. And they've got uh, what I love. There are two things in this area of the movie. Number one, when that truck explodes, uh, that shot, the truck's at a standstill because they yeah. didn't have the money to <laughs> crash it into something. It's just like you see they cut to a static shot and then explosion. You're like okay but before this (laughs) section when they're on that bus getting chased
0: oh i love that i love that the chase with the bus is great my favorite there's one
1: shot in that bus chase that i just have to say if anyone winds up watching this movie They're being chased and they're dealing with all of that. And I forget if it's Bob or Franks is standing up inside the bus and they're fighting and they're like, you know, like shooting out the window or whatever.
0: A bus full of civilians, I might add. They have a a bus full of civilians that they get on and ends up in this chase. But go ahead. And one of those (laughs) civilians in this, it's like
1: a medium shot of, of one of our heroes like fighting inside the bus, but like out the window. And you just see this guy rise up from the bottom of frame, holding a pineapple with the craziest look in his eyes. And then it just cuts away. And I'm like, why did pineapple guy come into this shot? Like what? Was that someone who was like, "I'm gonna get paid extra for being on camera today"? But these companies
0: wouldn't do that. I, I, it, it makes no sense. But I love it. Try AIing that shit. Yeah, you can't. You can't. <laughs> That's that is a real human reaction. Is guy with pineapple. There's no AI that can cover that. Forget it. Hell no. Oh, <laughs> uh, so. They, they get to the seaplane that's gonna take them to the island and and Greenwater is waiting for them. Seaplanes. Seaplanes
1: are big in the Oh, in I love time the seaplanes. Yeah. We, we've got them in, in multiple movies today. Obviously, we had our Tales of the Gold Monkey. Absolutely. In Raiders, you have a seaplane. Seaplanes don't exist anymore. I actually think they never existed. But in this <laughs> era of 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 quicksand and ninjas and soldiers of fortune. Seaplanes were the preferred mode of transportation.
0: Honestly, Rob, that is the world I dream of living in—a <laughs> world of seaplanes and ninjas and golden cobras—and it's just that's that's the adventure world I want to live in. I uh, I love that. Like when when they get the green waters, like I owe you an explanation. I'm like, dude, they ditched you. Like you don't owe them shit. Like the. It's, it's the other way around. It's true, but it does, it, I'll say
1: this is one of those weird plot points along with another weird plot point. Oh,
0: there's a lot of weird plot points.
1: That eventually does make sense. Yes. Why he would be apologizing. Yes. It actually that is. That is true. It's in line with character.
0: Yes. Well, what we learn is that, um, that, that the golden cobra is the key to a treasure of inestimable value. And that's the specific words they use, inestimable value. Uh, and Julie takes offense at this because apparently she thought they were just going to find her twin sister which leads to Greensleeves giving the best line in the film (laughs) you make me sick
3: you can't offend me dear we were never really close and I don't think we will be in the future
0: oh that is a sick burn truly I wish I'd had that in high school oh my god yeah (laughs) I said to everyone and then got my ass kicked
1: pettiness (laughs)
0: Oh. <laughs> well, they, they arrive at the island. They they, they see plane over to the island, and they arrive at the island. They find the crashed Japanese plane. Uh, there starts, by the way, to be the hint of romance between Jackson and Julie. I have no idea why. There's been nothing to establish that they're, they're any kind of mutual I, attraction. I, but- I will have more to say on this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. oh, yes. oh I will, too. Yeah. Oh, yes. But it is... <laughs> That's uh... perhaps the most brilliant aspect of this movie. <laughs> yes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but but so just setting up that Jackson and Julie are starting to vibe a little bit, and you know that's just what happens. And and as they're watching sort of the natives, Julie's twin sister, who's named April, shows up, and and it's not clear at first. Are they worshiping her? Is she been turned into some kind of jungle Patty Hearst? It's all unclear because April doesn't talk. She doesn't say anything. She does not speak. No. No.
1: nope not for a while and and kind of appears to be in an almost drug-like trance or something
0: yeah right like so you're thinking is is this is, is she running them is are they running her are they you know who it's 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 very mysterious well jackson julie and greenwater make their way into this cave where they find a picture of julie and april's mother and julie and april come face to face yeah and To my absolute, genuine astonishment, Julie starts slapping April around and demands to know where the treasure is. Greenwater pulls out a gun and points it at Jackson. They were in it together all along. Double cross.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much to unpack here. The the first of which (laughs) is that when they go inside, the Temple of the Golden Cobra, just to give you an idea of what this place looks like, It looks like an early era Motley Crue music video set, like shout at the devil kind of Motley Crue. (laughs) But what I love about this twist is that it depends upon these B movies doing something that is generally poor, which is just having poorly written female characters who lust and fall in love with the hero for absolutely no reason. Right. So that's why it doesn't really ring alarm bells to tip you off about the right. double cross because I'm just like, uh, I just, I'm so used to going, oh yeah, they just don't write the women. That's okay. Right. I, I get this. Yes. She just loves him absolutely. for no reason. You're like, no. She's double crossing.
0: I just love the fact that you, you, oh, it, it holds the theory that if you have twins, one of them is always going to be the evil twin. In this case, Julie is the evil twin.
1: And the other thing to realize is that the good twin is the one with the better hair because April's hair is better than Julie's. Yes,
0: well, she's got that Olivia Newton John headband, which yeah, I mean, it's it, just it, like it, it feels like it's a little like the like
1: uh like the the straight like blow down combed down. I don't have the words for this. I,
0: I... you know what I know it, It's not a hairdo from nineteen forty. <laughs> i don't know much but i know that julian greenwater go into the temple of the golden cobra now the interior like the main part of this is basically the inspiration for the floor is lava yes like because it's just the floor is lava there's a giant stone cobra head at the end that lava is just pouring out of the mouth and the golden cobra is on an altar at the far end that you have to jump to but be careful Cause the floor is lava. Literally, the floor is lava. What was that you were saying about
1: uh this movie's plot is you playing with G.I. Joe <laughs> action.
0: <figures>. Exactly! Exactly! <laughs> it's like, oh I got the cobra playset. I I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as it's oh it's so good. I just... And, uh,
1: oh yeah, Duke just got into the, the, the temple of the golden cobra. <laughs> yeah, well the golden cobra has a mode of lava around it. Deal with that.
0: It's not Scarlet, it's actually Zarana. Like it's oh you know, oh yeah. you know, <laughs> or the Baroness she'll go with the Baroness it was a more obvious most people know the Baroness and Zorana feels like a deep G.I. joke now Jackson and April team up at this point because and, and she asks what he's going to do
1: they won't let us pass what do we do?
0: I don't know he's oh. making this episode go along and he is <laughs> <laughs> is! So are the filmmakers, and I love it. And and Green Jeans, he goes for the Cobra, saying, the golden Cobra is ours. He jumps over to the altar, and Julie says, no, it's mine. And she pulls out a pistol and shoots him. And he falls into the lava like he's a T-800. I mean, it is he's, he's down there. And I'm like, why didn't you wait for him to get the fucking Cobra? Like, now you have to jump over to the thing to go get it yourself. What, are you an idiot? Like, I... It's like, wait for the guy. He's going to jump over there anyway and come back. He's not going to stay there. That Julie's impulsive. She's impulsive. She has to go over there herself. And what if happens? She falls to her death. Stupid idiot.
1: Well, yeah, She's impulsive. She can't sit in the chair long enough to get her hair done to the level that her sister April can. (laughs) She's always on the go. Had to learn
0: a hard lesson. Well, now it's up to Jackson to retrieve the Golden Cobra. And and there's this moment where, like, Sapporo shows up again. And I'm honestly, honestly not sure what this guy is doing in this movie. He just kind of shows up in places. I'm not clear if he's actually there or he's like a mental projection. It, it, he just kind of stands there and he grabs, you know, Jackson gets the cobra and goes and lava starts to engulf the whole temple. And Jackson and Julie, I mean, April, I'm sorry, Jackson and April because are trapped And Jackson says Oh, this could have been the beginning of something good
2: I'm sorry Well, at least we have the Cobra And each other
1: what? So, well, he was already like, on board with Julie's romance, so he can just well, and they look identical. He's going to transfer it over and just assume that she wants him because this also is <laughs> a they're B twin movie. Sisters. Yes, of course, she would be into me. Yeah, why? Why not?
0: If you That's can't how it works, be with right? it's, yeah,
1: yeah. exactly,
0: if you can't be with one twin sister, you might as well just be with the other. You already know that you like how they look. So they made that sure, song. Why if you
1: can't be with the one you love, be with their twin sister. Yes. <laughs>
0: And at the last minute, there's some explosions that open up the cave. And guess who's there to rescue them? It's Franks. He's not blown up after all. Now, Rob, you're just going to have to believe me that when Franks was killed, I actually had the thought this seems like the type of movie where this guy's going to turn up alive again at the end. Oh, yes. You just have to believe me. I had that thought. I also, as well.
1: But, you know, that may have also (laughs) been wish fulfillment because I didn't want.
0: Franks to be No. <laughs> no, because I love Jackson and Franks together because these two actors are great and I love their chemistry together and uh you know it's just it's it's a lot of fun. It's a ridiculous movie. It's a lot of fun. Here's the thing about the Golden Cobra. It doesn't seem to have any power at all. Like they tease the supernatural power, but I think it's just a golden cobra. Only Sephora
1: is kind of magical. But I do love at the very end, Franks does get to make a Pygmalion reference.
0: Yes, there is a Pygmalion reference. As they
1: you know, have some loveboat style music over that scene. And then, Chris, I'm sure you were going to mention it, but the end song. Oh,
0: it's like a ninth tier James Bond song. Golden Prey, (laughs) Golden Prey. Oh, my goodness. And and we should mention that that the end has Jackson and April going off, driving off to get married. And, And, you know, Franks is kind of waving them goodbye. And because, again, if you can't marry one sister just married the twin sister like it's just so and she is obligated
1: like, oh. right i mean it's like she's obligated that's it you know my it's like, twin well, this sister is what was fake into you for subterfuge purposes so now i am obligated <laughs> to marry you
0: oh. oh god it is maybe that's it the is power amazing. of the golden cobra i don't know golden cobra man it's, that's now rob if you liked Hunters of the Golden And I did! You're going to be thrilled to know that the same creative team reunited two years later for 1984's The Ark of the Sun God. Just exactly
2: why are you doing all this? The answer is in your hand. That tablet is proof the Temple of the Sun God really exists. And maybe the key to open it. You mean this hunk of clay? That hunk of clay is thousands of years old. Now just a second. Just what exactly is the temple of the sun god? Your lordship? It's the presumed resting place of Gilgamesh, the king, who was half man and half demon. The sacred scepter of power should therefore... And so you want to go looking for an object that may not even exist, as far as you know. It exists. Dean, i got to think this one over. I know you, Rick. You're already wondering what the door looks like... and how
0: you're going to open it. After making Hunters of the Golden Cobra, Antonio Margariti went to Turkey to make You're the Hunter from the Future, and he must have had a very positive experience there because he stayed for his next film, The Ark of the Sun God. Written by Giovanni Palucci and Giovanni Simonelli, Ark of the Sun God features many of the same cast in very similar roles. This time, David Warback is Rick Spear. Which sounds like a porn name, now that I say it out loud. I just thought he was a gum magnet. (laughs) Of the
1: the Spearmint family fortune? Yes. Um, (laughs) But sure, we'll go with your
0: dirty mind, (laughs) (laughs) Chris. Terrible. He is an international cat burglar, and he's in Istanbul to cat burgle and to show his girlfriend Carol, played by Susie Sudlow, a good time. If everyone
1: who thought the Knives Out sweater game was good. Oh. Oh my goodness. You have got to see Rick's sweaters in this movie. He's got a couple of them. They're fantastic. My goodness. Th- this is some some fashion.
0: It gets cold on the Bosphorus and, you know, like it's, you need a good sweater. Yeah, and, Oh, I mean, you could lose yourself in those sweaters. Oh, Also returning from the previous film are John Steiner and Alan Collins, a.k.a. Luciano Pagosi, joined this time by Ricardo Palacios. Now, Rob, if you thought the closing song for Hunters of the Golden Cobra was good, the opening song entitled Future, sung by Josette Martel at the beginning of Ark of the Sun God, is amazing I can't tell you what she was singing about I know there was something about becoming the sun which is awesome and I gotta say it's just like it put me in the headspace of this movie instantly and they much like
1: uh, all star in Shrek you are going to hear this song <laughs> multiple times in over this movie. and over
0: again yeah. and unlike all star in Shrek it's welcome every time there you go
1: and uh, I would like to <laughs> as, we, as we start into this journey of going through the arc of the sun god I also just want to tee up that this movie, to me, is the Jason Takes Manhattan of Indiana Jones inspired (laughs) films. In that. most of this movie is not taking place get, going and getting the, the Ark of the Sun God. It takes place like in the city it's hanging out in with Istanbul. like disco and dancing and disco like markets. And, oh, oh, yeah. It's so, like, it's in the city. It's a I guess it's a reverse Jason Takes Manhattan because well, yeah, yeah, you're in so, the city the whole movie until the end when finally you go to a- adventure.
0: Exactly. It's just, so Rick, Rick goes out on his own and he makes his way to this shop where he says, I'm looking for Muhammad as if there's only one person by that name in the whole of Istanbul. But Muhammad does in fact own the shop and in his spare time, he takes pictures with tourists and Rick is looking for something special for his lady love Carol, as well as, quote, a shaving kit. A shaving kit is code for burglary tools. And as Rick is waiting, you know, he's waiting in the shop Hands reach out from behind him, and a garrote wire takes him. Just you know, just like right from behind him, is there's a big struggle. And you know, Rick struggles with his attacker. The attacker has a strange tattoo on a palm that kind of looks like a half closed sleepy eye. And the guy, you know, he fights him off. The guy pulls a a knife, except Muhammad comes in and bangs him on the head with his large plate. And the assassin falls or jumps i'm not clear headlong out a window out of the shop it's amazing
1: and what i was very unclear on until i'd watched the whole damn movie was in the in the scene muhammad when you know when stuff's being ordered he makes what appears to be an evil villain bad guy pun where he's like something for her neck i'll be right back <laughs> And then a guy tries to strangle him with the wire outside, yeah. and then Muhammad comes back, and, and I'm like, wait, you just made the neck pun. Someone tried to strangle him, and you're acting like this wasn't you, and it turns out it wasn't, it t- wasn't him. <laughs> like, wait, Muhammad's a stand-up guy. Yeah, but, like, why did you do this, like, <laughs> Batman villain-esque pun, and it's not even – My head exploded retroactively. It's
0: amazing. It's amazing. That night, Carol, Muhammad, and and Rick go out and hit the disco floor. And I got to say, Rob, nightlife in early 80s Istanbul looks happening. Like, Muhammad in particular is getting down. And I just, honestly, I want to hang out in that club. Because it just seems awesome. Yeah, we here we get that theme
1: song again. Again, we get the phrase "the John Travolta of Istanbul."
0: Oh, it's the best.
1: And also, <laughs> this scene really illustrates why you've got to you've got to know your dealer when you're doing uh, these yeah. illicit black market <laughs> transactions. So go dancing, why not? Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. It, it's now late that night. Rick picks up the equipment, the shaving kit, and he goes to do some cat burgling. <laughs> I love this. He climbs up on this wall and he's going to this house and he he shoots like a zip line. He's going to zip line over and there's a moment where he's ziplining across, and there's the most amazing, holy shit expression on the actor's face, on David Warbuck's face. It's just amazing. And he's picked up on radar or something? Like, this is,
1: this is so weird. There's a thing I don't get and in this movie. This is weirder than than his girlfriend going to sleep with full makeup and hair. <laughs> and also she will wake up in full makeup and hair. Not not smudge. Your wife doesn't do that, Rob? I've never seen her real face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, what's well? What yeah? Rick Rick's activities are like picked up by this group of Middle Easterners on a nearby yacht, and these guys are led by Prince Abdullah and become the primary antagonists of the movie. But I'm not clear: were they surveilling the house? Were they following Rick all along? Or did they just stumble across the whole fucking thing? Like, I have no idea if they are, like, how they became involved in this. It seems just by accident. And it it made only
1: muddier by the exposition scene that winds up happening, you know, a couple scenes into the (laughs) sequence. Because yes. it, it, yeah it, it turns out this was all a setup of sorts yes,
0: but not by the people who were there. <laughs> yes, Rick gets into the house and he opens the safe and it's all it's all a test. He gets into the safe and he opens the safe there's this object inside he doesn't know what it is and then the lights come on and there's a group of men there led by the wheelchair bound Lord Dean. John Steiner again again he's he's great in both of these movies and the whole thing was a test which Rick passed. So now we get our briefing scene. But before that, Chris,
1: I'm stopping everything <laughs> to discuss. I'd mentioned the James Bond esqueness at times of these characters. What is what is one of the things James Bond is is absolutely known for, Chris?
0: Uh, he's good with the ladies.
1: Yeah, and what does he drink? <laughs> martini shaken not stirred if you're a super spy you have to have a signature drink it's a must his signature drink Bacardi with milk and lots of crushed ice <laughs> <And> I exploded <laughs> I had to stop this film I exclaimed that's his fucking drink and it's this is not a one-off he's drinking it throughout the whole movie <laughs> it's like at this point from now on oh. Bacardi and milk on crushed ice it's even it's lo- used later on as a clue to let you know that something happened because you know that drink is
0: associated <laughs> with him it, it is mind-blowing it is amazing so Lord Dean wants Rick's help in locating and opening the tomb of the legendary king Gilgamesh who Dean describes as half man and half demon now if you want to know more about Gilgamesh please check out the Star Trek The Next Generation episode Darmok in which Picard tells the whole story of Gilgamesh very movingly. But in this case we're looking for the tomb of Gilgamesh uh, the object in the safe is a key to the door of that tomb in which rests the scepter of power and Dean even has a picture uh, of it in a book kind of like Indy and we're told the, the, the scepter has inestimable power and certain groups could use it to foment revolutions. And Prince Abdul is listening to all of this on the, he, he's got, he, he's got like a shotgun mic. He's listening to all this. And he seems very angry about these Westerners getting their hands on. It. Oh, one other thing. We're told the scepter is protected by a fanatical group called the Demons of Gilgamesh. They are the ones with the tattoos on their palms. I'm honestly not sure if Abdullah is supposed to be part of that group because he doesn't have a tattoo. We see both of his palms. He holds up his hands at one and He's got nothing on his palms. And I'm not sure if he's part of the same group or if they're two separate groups. I I still don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, because at the end of this exposition scene, they don't take time to make that clear, but they do take time to do something else, Chris. Oh, they do. At the end of the scene, he goes to make a toast, our hero. But he's out of his milk and Bacardi. And then he says, oh, sweetheart, to the butler or whatever, <laughs> jiggling his glass, like, get me another. And then they end on the shots between them. And it's music like it's the end of a soap opera danger moment where it's like, will he yeah, get the milk and Bacardi? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm so glad that we've taken time for this.
0: <laughs> oh, we, we have to add. There's one more important piece of information we get. There's a special door protecting the tomb, and that uh, yes. decades earlier, a, a Jewish archaeologist found the door back in the 40s, but then was killed in the Holocaust. And but his assistant is still around and might remember the location. So the assistant, they, tracking down the assistant, is going to be a significant plot point. And
1: that little clay thing that
0: he got in the uh, or that was in the safe—that's yes. the key. Supposedly. That's the key to the door. Yes. yes. So Rick leaves after, we don't find out if he gets his drinker. <laughs> no, we never see it. But he leaves, and Abdullah's men immediately try to kidnap him, leaving to a pretty great car chase through a train yard. And again, this is some of the Margariti miniatures. Oh, yeah. Incredible, incredible stuff. It is, like, I understand that in the world of modern visual effects, it might seem quaint, but there is just such a handcrafted, wonderful stylish sense to all of these these miniatures that that it's it's being it's so good it is just so good
1: and and the start of this chase sequence is one of my favorite rick moments in the whole movie (laughs) when he's in his car or whatever and the bad guys are that he runs into the bad guys they want to kidnap him they have guns and the bad guys for some reason go we got to take you alive that's what the big boss said i'm paraphrasing (laughs) Yeah. And then Rick just goes, Not "Oh, much. alive!" <laughs> and then he just gives them the Euro middle finger, double-fisted. Double, where he has yeah. his two fingers up. He's like, "Ah!" <laughs> oh. And then he just takes off, and it is so badass.
0: I love uh, it. Rick Spear might be my second favorite character after, of course, JT Striker. <laughs> but honestly, yeah. if you could put a two of them together in a movie, it would be the best thing I've ever seen. I mean, I swear. that's an Expendables movie I'd see. <laughs> <laughs> Rick makes it back to his hotel, and his girlfriend seems to have no idea that he was gone. Like he's very smooth. And, but she's still in full makeup. Her still hair has makeup. not, must, not one hair out of place.
1: <laughs> she wakes up. You know, he's pretends like she says. Oh, do you have a good night's sleep? And he says, Yeah. And then he proceeds to just get up like he slept too. (laughs) This man does not need human sleep, Chris. No. They never play the fact that he's tired. It's just he is superhuman. I don't
0: know. He's fucking Rick Spear, man. Like, it's just, that's it. He's... So, but the next plan that, that Abdullah and his men have is to kidnap Carol. Yeah. Which leads they, they kidnap Carol. And Rick, I love it, because he's like, he's not letting somebody get his woman. He steals a truck and we have another chase. Uh the music, by the way, in this section of the movie sounds very much like John Carpenter's synth score from Big Trouble in Little China, yeah. which will be a few years later, and it's just great. The kidnappers and Carol end up on a boat. And Rick is in his guest jeans. Very important. <laughs> He's got that
1: triangle on the butt. This is hundred percent a guest jeans wearing Indiana Jones slash James Bond.
0: But how? Did, what does he do for the? They got the, the, the. They're on a boat. What does he do? He hits him with a water cannon. He's got this water cannon that he finds. Taps yes. this thing. He knocks him out. He he gets Carol back, and then Carol and him are, are trapped at the end of the pier. So what do they do, Rob? They do the only thing he can do. They jump. But we have the greatest. Greatest moment would jump down, and as Rick jumps his mouth opens wide as if he's mining a scream but they didn't add a scream in the audio so it's like he's smiling really wide at the jump and it's
1: amazing and how do we know that they made it how do we know they're okay do we see them land no we do not oh well we get him back at the hotel and he's drinking a Bacardi and milk yeah. we cut to a close up of a Bacardi and milk being mixed and instantly I know Rick is okay he's alright yeah literally no one else drinks this in the world
0: <laughs> <laughs> but someone slipped a Mickey into his Bacardian milk and he's out uh, that's how you get him it's his Achilles heel is his Bacardian milk and Muhammad is there the second time they tease Muhammad potentially being a villain is when he takes Carol and you think oh M- Muhammad's in on it no. He's just taking her back to, to, to Dean's house so she'll be safe. Yeah. Like, why didn't you just tell Rick, rather than spiking his Bacardian milk, why didn't you just tell him, oh, we're going to take her to Dean's house. That way she'll be safe. Like, and she's got this line like where she's like, I feel like a football that's been fumbled in the end zone. And Dean, because he's British, doesn't know American football. Oh, so says, you American end football. Zone, what? Yes. Oh. We then get the point where Muhammad is, like, kidnapped and shot in his own store? And we don't know whether he lives or dies. He just kind of vanishes. You get another great line in
1: this movie when the villains are... And I I forget exactly what the question is, or the the threat is, but they're saying something like, I'll pop your, your, you know, you bag of wind. You're only a bag of wind, and I have a way to empty it.
2: You can let the air out by
1: puncturing it, but you won't learn anything. You will get a rude noise for your effort. That's his way of saying that he's not going to give up his friends. He's just going to sound like a fart when
0: you <laughs> punch his windbag. Yes. Rick tracks down uh, the archaeologist's assistant uh, who who is named... Uh, what is his name? I, I, I forgot to... It's like Ping or Patch or something. Something, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> It's something. I forgot his name. I should have written that down in my notes. Unprofessional. But, you know, we checked down the archaeologist's assistant, and he's, like, old and kind of drunk. And then Rick goes to the store, and he sees that, you know, shit has gone down in, in Muhammad's store. But don't worry, because Muhammad has crawled into the... Like, there's a, there's a hatch, like a, a, a trapdoor that he's crawled onto to save himself. And, you know, and... and <laughs> Yeah, which which
1: neither the cops nor the organized bad guys could find, even though it's underneath a rug that A has blood on it and B (laughs) is rumpled more than anything you've ever seen in your life.
0: Thankfully, Rick Rick thinks to look under there, and you know it does come across Muhammad. They they have to deal with some rats and
1: oh, I'm sorry. And by by deal with a rat, you mean shoot a rat off his own leg.
0: Funny shot himself in the foot. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm he, I, I guess McSpear is a really great shot, man. <laughs> like, you could also just brush the rat off, but no, <laughs> you gotta shoot that sucker off.
0: <laughs> he gets the I love the line, why didn't you tell me this was a job for Roger Moore? <laughs> Like it's so further, yep. furthering the James Bondness. Yeah, yeah, but so specifically early '80s. So, oh, beetle. Beetle is the name of the assistant. That's it. His name is Beetle. I was like Patch or something. Beetle. And Beetle and and Muhammad and Rick take a helicopter out to find the tomb. We're we're finally getting out to the actual you know like archaeological adventure aspect of this movie after they've been you know just hanging out in Istanbul for a while now. Beetle talks about how when they first found the tomb, they followed the river until they found a mountain with a strange shape. And the archaeologist said that when he saw it, he was scared. And we soon come across the mountain. Rob, what is the mountain shaped like? A Nazi swastika.
1: Oh, boy. They then proceed to have a discussion about how not all swastikas... (laughs) (laughs) Which is true, but also false because the Nazi swastika goes one way and the other swastika goes the other way, but I... Let's just say, Ark of the Sun God is, is not necessarily the film to have these uh, complex <laughs> geopolitical, historical, historical, historical discussions. discussions
0: about symbolism. But what's, yeah. what makes me laugh the most, I mean, now this is another Margariti miniature, and I love most of them, but in this case, the swastika shaped mountain looks like it was built out of a sandbox. I swear to god. Yeah. And and the group is being followed by a guy who pops up behind him with binoculars. It's kind of cool. And I think this whole this whole section of the movie takes place in the same area where they filmed York. There's a fight with the binoculars guy uh who I think is part of the demons of Gilgamesh, but I don't know if he's connected to Abdullah. I'm still confused about that. Is this in the cave? This is before they get in the cave. Okay, before they get in the They're cave. They're up on the bluff and Rick, Oh, yes. Rick does he? Uh, he has his signature move where he headbutts binoculars guy in the balls with his head. And I'm all for a signature move of headbutting balls. I mean, and, and here's the thing: <laughs> well, is it doesn't is. even. It's not even the finishing move. Like uh, Muhammad has to shoot him from behind. Like if you're gonna n- headbutt a guy in the balls, you better make sure that wins the fight.
1: Yeah, and Muhammad does, is the one who has to shoot him because Rick although it was established earlier that he is such a great shot. He can shoot a rat off a leg. No problem. He's like, yeah. he's, he's, he's nailing the womp rats. Right. But, uh, coming up, like all of a sudden, all of his marksmanship just melts away completely. Like when he has the guy point blank in the cave coming up and he keeps shooting and shooting and missing and missing. And all he can do is just go, okay, you shithead. <laughs> like that's, that's all he's left with. That's all he's left. with.
0: Oh my God. It's it- now the next thing that happens in this movie we cut back to Lord Dean. Now Lord Dean is at his house. Uh, he's got his butler there and he's got Carol there. Oh yeah. And he decides he's going to follow Rick on the, on the adventure. He's going to they're going to go after him and make sure how how can how can he do
1: that? I mean he's he's in a wheelchair, Chris. I mean he he, he can't walk. Oh no, he
0: stands up right out of that wheelchair. He just stands right the fuck up. And in, when he's asked about it, he's like, well, I had to get Rick to accept the job anyhow. But why are you faking being in a wheelchair when Rick's not around? It,
1: and, and how exactly did faking this particular thing I don't really play it. into it? I know they, they tried to mention it in that scene with getting Rick on board. It doesn't seem to work. But then he just keep. I, it's.
0: Now, Rob. Rob, you're going to have to believe me when I say that when I first saw Dean in the wheelchair, I actually had the thought, this seems like the type of movie where this guy's going to turn out to be able to walk after all.
1: I I believe you. I was already already so drunk I could barely write. So I did not see this coming at all.
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) It reminds me of the SNL sketch, which is the lost ending to It's a Wonderful Life, where they all go beat the crap out of old man Potter and learn he isn't really handicapped. Yes. So Rick and company, they make their way into a series of caves. Um, at one point, he falls into a cavern with some snakes, which is clearly stock footage from Hunters of the Golden Cobra. I know that because I had just watched Hunters of the Golden Cobra. <laughs> and you get this race through the desert where Dean and Carol and, and, the, and the butler are racing through the desert against Prince Abdullah and his group. And Abdullah and his men are all driving Transams through the desert. That is not an approved desert vehicle. For off-roading, but they all transams. It's awesome. I'm sorry, what's wrong with <laughs> traveling through the desert in if style, you- Chris? Um If the last film was one you made up with your G.I. Joe's, this is one you made up with your Hot Wheels. Like it's clearly like it's yeah, like, oh my uh, god, the transam, I'll do that. And we get Dean has got a great line. If we English were impeccable gentlemen, Great Britain would still be a Roman province.
1: Yeah, and a few other countries might be slightly better off, but we'll <laughs> we'll just gloss over that one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, there yes. is that. Uh, Rick finds the golden door, but they don't have a way to open it. And what I love is he's got that key, the thing he found in the safe, and he's just, like, oh. sticking it in random holes, like natural, like, holes in the wall. He's just like, see, it won't open. See? Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 like,
1: the tablet is maybe... What, like maybe five inches It's like long. the size of an iPhone. And, and he is putting his hand and this key into holes that are like the concave, like like a whole basketball or like a, a
0: small boulder. Right, well, they're just clearly natural formations. Yeah. Like it's just, oh, this is where the, the rock wore away. See, it doesn't work. Oh, if, you know.
1: Yeah. He wiggles it at the other people and gives them like the shit like look on his
0: face. Like I told you (laughs) (laughs) what kind of key is this idiots. um, But Rick realizes that the floor is hollow and that there's a complex mechanism to open the door underneath. But, but wait, what, what is stopping him from crawling underneath and opening the mechanism? (laughs) Lava. Why do they build these things over lava every time? They build these things over lava. It's on purpose, my man. And then we get this weird, we get this weird cutaway where Prince Abdullah starts praying to the Egyptian god Amun Ra, and I'm just, I am not sure what religion these guys follow. I, I, I am unclear on the religious, the the religious background of the antagonists. I, I think that they
1: follow. It's what this is eighty four now. It's eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. I believe it's the kind of racist Italian <laughs> religion <laughs> for how to depict anyone outside of your your uh, Europe. Yeah.
0: Rick, Rick goes. He pull. He goes underground. He he avoids the lava. He pulls this underground lever, but his leg gets stuck. We see like columns and like sand pouring down. We see Rick's belly shirt. <laughs> I have no idea how this mechanism works. I have no idea whatsoever. Oh no! Like it's it's a
1: complete mystery. The end of this all, right? And the shaking and the cracking apart and all of that. Yep. Like this kind of this is la- the end of Last Crusade before Last Crusade, man.
0: I had the same thought. Yeah the yeah, the whole the whole bit is very much. Uh, so Dean and Carol show up, and Rick gets free, and he seems very nonplussed about the fact that Dean is walking. Like all he says is, "You've got legs." Like oh, uh, like. <laughs> Oh, oh, the other weird thing about this, we never see, there's this big golden door when they're making a it's how you open the door. How do you open the fucking door? We never see the door open. Yeah. Like we see Rick kind of just look up like as if he's watching the door open, but they clearly didn't have, they, the, the door did not open. Whatever prop door they had did not open. Yeah. Bruce the shark didn't work that day. <laughs> Bruce the door. Nope. That's it. So. We get into the tomb of Gilgamesh, and there's a big room. It's got a sarcophagus at one end. There's skeletons sitting in a row on either side. And someone says that these are the Tibetan priests laid to rest with their king. And I'm still asking myself what country this is. Like, what what is... like, why are there Tibetan priests apparently in a Turkish tomb? I don't
1: understand. Yeah, I have expected them to have dream catchers strung up as well. They're just like, we're throwing, we are throwing it all <laughs> in. Like it could be Everything anything. goes in. Like,
0: yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, if they had the terracotta warriors, I wouldn't have been... Friggin' surprised. Like it's, the, uh, the, the Colossus of Rhodes is here as well. Yeah. Like this is everything, everything. So inside, you have the sarcophagus with the remains of Gilgamesh, and he's cl- still clutching the Scepter of Power. And they seem to be able to see through. Like, I'm not clear how they see into the sarcophagus. Like, there's a window or something. Uh, and there are booby traps in the casket. And of course, what happens next? Abdullah shows up and immediately opens the thing without any regard. He's such a a petulant idiot. Like, Abdullah, as far as villains go, is just this petulant moron. Yeah. And he just opens it up. And of course, this is where it feels like Last Crusade, because the whole tomb starts coming apart. Yeah. And it's uh, like the one character who probably should know
1: this site and what you do and don't do better than anyone else is the one who just charges and goes, ah. Whatever, um, <laughs> grab it, grab it, grab it. Like, <laughs> we okay. get the whole
0: tomb coming apart. Rick and Abdullah have a sword fight, um, and yeah, it, it's Rick. Uh, you know, Abdullah. Like the earth opens under Abdullah, and he falls in. Rick tries to help him because you know, you know, I don't know for reasons passing understanding. And um, they all race to get out of the temple. Rick dodges a falling column, where you can very clearly see the arm of the stagehand pushing that column over it's there it's the it's can, the arm it's, of gilgamesh it's awesome. is it's my it's,
1: <laughs> everyone knows this
0: yeah it's true um and muhammad and beetle stay behind to try and get the scepter the rest, the rest get out and there's a moment where a moment later beetle and muhammad appear through a hole in the ground and they have the scepter they got it freeze frame yeah uh,
1: you freeze frame with the 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 title song again.
0: Oh, title song, so good!
1: But what I love is that you know they have the scepter, and then you get Rick cursing them out, and he's just like, "You no good, double cross it!" <laughs> and then it just freeze frames mid curse out, like. <laughs> it's all awesome. cute. Cue music and
0: cue my oh, love for
1: this movie. Uh, yeah,
0: I love this movie. Uh, two things, two two thoughts on this movie. One. David Warbeck looks like the action movie version of Dean Jones. Uh, like that's that's yeah, what yeah. this guy looks like. And second, and this is, the, this is the really important takeaway. This is a movie called The Ark of the Sun God. There is no Ark in this movie whatsoever. There's a scepter and a sarcophagus, but that's it. That's not an Ark. There's no Ark of any kind, not an Ark of the Covenant, not Noah's Ark. It's called Ark of the Sun God. There's no
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, I'm not sure. I know in the next one, the Italian title is not anything resembling the, the words Jungle Raiders. Correct. I would imagine this just seems like they realized Hunters of the Golden Cobra, Raiders of the Lost Ark, people didn't get it so we're gonna put ark in this title and we're gonna put raiders in our next one and uh it worked
0: yeah if you if you thought antonio margarini was done raiding raiders of the lost ark think again because in 1985 we have jungle raiders
3: deep inside the hidden rainforests of malaysia lies the famed ruby of doom Protected by savage tribal warriors, the stone has never been captured. But Duke Howard is ready for anything. He's got the best team and the perfect plan. But everyone's out to stop him. It's a terrifying journey into an unknown world. Their search for the ruby wasn't easy. Getting out might be impossible. Holy oh, shit! Duke's quest for the jewel has started a war. Trapped. Surrounded. Outnumbered. You don't think this is the end, do you? Their biggest adventure could be their last. You're right here, Sonny. Chris Conley and Lee Van Cleef. The Jungle Raiders. The
0: adventure of their lives and yours, Jungle Raiders. Written by Giovanni Simonelli, Jungle Raiders, or as the the direct Italian translation would be, Legend of the Malaysian Ruby, is a little bit different from the two films that preceded it. First of all, gone are David Warbeck and John Steiner, and honestly, I think the film suffers a bit from their absence. I... I have become quite fond of these two over two movies and I like their chemistry together and uh, I, I kind of miss them in the third one. <laughs> Luciano Pagosi is back this time again. This time is a character called Jin Fizz. Who is an amazing character. Amazing, He's amazing. The lead role of Duke Howard a.k.a. Captain Yankee, is played by Christopher Connolly, who gained fame in the 1960s primetime soap opera, Peyton Place. He also later played Jodie Foster's dad in the TV version of Paper Moon, and he spent most of the 80s in Italian productions such as this one. Jungle Raiders also stars Marina Costa and Lee Van Cleef in a role that feels like an extended cameo or perhaps more accurately, a role that could be shot in a minimum number of days on set. Yeah, <laughs> and I want to just take a moment to
1: appreciate that they have a character that they saw fit to name Captain Duke Yankee. <laughs> if you want. He's he's Duke Howard, aka Captain, Captain Yankee. I know, but he's Captain <laughs> he's Duke Yankee Cap- to me. And Duke they, they style him most of the film. He is dressed like Humphrey Bogart in the African Queen. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he behaves kind of like Bing Crosby. And it's and it's
0: <laughs> amazing. <laughs> uh this movie is set in malaysia in 1938 so after the modern modern istanbul setting of uh Ark of the golden yeah. oh, cobra. Uh, Gold, cobra *Ark of the sun, God. Of the sun God. yeah we're, we're back in malaysia in the 30s which is interesting because malaysia as a country wouldn't come into existence under that name until 1963
1: i i also forgot one thing just to put it in uh Th- this movie is very sneaky because at the beginning, nobody really uses the Captain Yankee name. Right. So it kind of lets you think it's a normal movie. And then all of a sudden, like after you're like 20 minutes in and it's too late, like everyone is calling him Captain Yankee. And you're like, Captain oh, Yankee. Like, I've been hood-winked. <laughs> I'm in a movie
0: with Captain Yankee, not with this nameless <laughs> hero guy. Duke yes. of Lord. Of all the movies this week, and, and perhaps so far in this series, Jungle Raiders opens with a sequence that first really seems straight out of Raiders of oh, yeah. the Lost Ark. You have three men on their way through the jungle. They're 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 looking for a golden idol. They are pursued by indigenous tribes, and it it plays out like Indiana Jones. You know, one of them, Jin Fizz, gets taken down by arrows. Uh, Captain Yankee, I'm gonna just call him Captain Yankee from now on. Uh and, and, and this young man from Beverly Hills. Uh they they're they they go in and get the statue, and then they're racing to get out. Yeah, there's a real chase, they've got the seaplane. Uh yeah. And then you know, we have the great line: the young man drops the statue and he's like, Hey, my statue. And I'm, and, D- and Captain Yankee's like, I'll hold your statue. Let's go. And and the young man makes it to the seaplane and safety, but alas. Captain Yankee does not. Yeah, But that's okay. That's okay because it's all a con. Everything is a setup. The indigenous tribesmen, all of it to prey on young, wealthy dummies looking for adventure. And it is an amazingly clever opening. Like, it's a clever, clever twist on Raiders. Absolutely.
1: And it makes, with what with where the rest of this movie goes, it kind of makes Captain Yankee the Peter Vincent of Indiana Joneses. In that this guy <laughs> is a fraud and then actually has to do the thing. Although kind of his background meant that he could do the thing, he just wasn't doing the thing and was frauding for uh, money. And a, it's just uh, a wonderful...
0: Wonderful hodgepodge. It's great. And the whole thing feels like there's a bit in Richard Donner's Maverick when the Native Americans are fleecing the Russian noble by like dressing up as Native Americans and like sort of playing it thick because the Russian noble's stupid and you know he wants to hunt and you know the the you know all the all the wants to go on like a Native American tour. It feels like that. I will say there's one thing about the sequence that's super weird and that almost it's just the, the young guy, the mark, if you will, is a dead ringer for a young Sean Connery. Circa Doctor No. Like like if I actually freeze-framed it at one point, and I'll I'll put this on the Twitter. I'm like, that is that really looks like a young Sean Connery, strikingly so. I'm like, oh my god, it, Captain! If Captain Yankee can fool, you know, di- you know, <laughs> fool James Bond, what can't he do? Well, he can't
1: drink uh Bacardian milk because that's
0: Rick's thing. No, <laughs> so no, yeah. he can't drink Bacardian milk. And you know, I just I, afterwards, after it's all over, like you know, the Jin Fizz's death was staged. It was all staged, and um, he's you know, he's talking to one of the the, the indigenous tribes who is like his buddy.
3: How we do, Howling? I'll give you a ten. I'll pick up all that other stuff later, all right?
2: The elders are mad as hell. They don't like you playing with their legends.
3: It's only an adaptation. An adaptation? Yeah. But the Ruby of Gloom is not to be toyed with. Ah, come on. Sacred caves, evil spirits, this 20th century, not the Middle Ages.
0: And we do learn in the sequence that there is actually a real treasure called the Ruby of Doom. And the Ruby of Doom, Rob, is not to be toyed with.
1: No, I think it has inestimable power.
0: <laughs> Inestimable power, inestimable <laughs> power. You can't estimable the power that, no, that the Ruby of it's Doom. It's inestimable. Had. And sure enough, when when Duke gets back to town, there's Lee Van Cleef asking him to take a group, including a museum curator, to find the Ruby of Doom. Oh, a museum curator. I'm sure this is some stuffy old guy, right, Chris? You know, this is 1938. Museum curators can be foxy ladies too. What? Right? <laughs> A lady museum
1: curator? I don't believe it.
0: Next thing you're gonna tell me, she's wearing pants. Oh, she's oh she's wearing slacks. Oh, it's like it's like Evan Rachel Wood in Westworld. She is wearing slacks, uh, the pantaloons. What I'm not clear on are they saying Ruby of Doom or Ruby of Gloom? Because I I feel like I hear both. Yeah, I I think Doom. I think. Uh, Doom makes more sense, yeah. but I really thought they were saying Ruby of Gloom. And I'm like, that feels like a less threatening thing. It just feels kind of... It's mopey. Eh, that that Ruby's little, like really sad. into
1: Fallout, boy. <laughs> <And> my my <laughs> chemical romance. <laughs> that Ruby is like, says, stay out
0: of my room. <laughs> um, I, I am not clear who Lee Van Cleef is playing in this movie. He's an American. And he's in some kind of authority role, uh, and he blackmails uh, Captain Yankee into into to taking to go taking the job because he's saying that the Los Angeles police are looking for him after he took a Texas oil man to look for, and I quote Montezuma's diamond studded toilet bowl. So naturally, with that kind of threat, you know Captain Yankee agrees, which is weird because I they are nowhere near Texas. This is not Texas. No way. Is- it's Malaysia. It's Malaysia. we It's the country, you know, not yet called Malaysia, but they're calling it Malaysia. Anyway, once he leaves the meeting with Lee Van Cleef, he, he, he runs into a woman who is being kidnapped, attempted kidnapping on the dock as, as happens. And that, you know, he saves her. And there's a car chase where every roadside stand in Borneo is knocked over. And not only that,
1: you say oh car chase and you know all of this and it's thrilling kidnap attempt the the score at this point is kind of like the Italian version of like Smokey and the Bandit banjo
0: music oh it's great Where
1: it's like <laughs> It's all, like, whimsical. It, like, yeah. It, it feels like- We're just having a good there time. There is absolutely no danger. It is just like, woohoo, all right. We're just having
0: a good time. We got some more margariti miniatures. Oh, which are great. Uh, and we're just having a good time. And we are having a good time. Uh We meet Duke's supplier, a guy named De Silva, who it turns out is also supplying the bad guys, a group of Borneo pirates led by Tiger. And I got to say, Tiger's cool. He's got a turban. He's got he's, uh, a bald head underneath. He's, he's a striking character, striking-looking character. Uh, but some of Tiger's henchmen have very, very 80s mustaches for a movie set in the 1930s.
1: Yeah, and it's... Um... You know, you get the setup. It it, it all feels very eighties kind of like cartoon where you've the, got the layers of villains, the layers of henchmen. I love
0: layers to my henchmen.
1: You have you need layered henchmen. You can't just do a straight cut.
0: You need layers to the henchmen.
1: You gotta you gotta layer no. it. Yes.
0: And it turns out it was Tiger's men who were trying to kidnap the woman of the dock who rob shock turns out to be the museum cur- curator Maria Janice What? Cuz museum curator, that's I, a woman I, I, can I, a woman can do that job. Women can be museum cur- curators. I am struggling with the word curator, but women could be that I'm, job whatever it's called. I'm
1: going to keep steering this conversation such that you have to say the word curator over and <laughs> curator. over again. I'm going
0: to be I'm so mean. <laughs> <laughs> so Duke along with Gin Fizz, take Maria the museum cura- curator <laughs> <I did it! laughs> and her and her very obviously untrustworthy assistant uh, Professor Lansky upriver to find the Ruby of Gloom or Doom one of the other Yeah
1: he may as well be wearing a sign that says bad guy
0: <laughs> like, yeah i mean it's turncoat i genuinely <laughs> love the bit there's a bit where duke's native friends hear his boat coming and they start putting on their war paint and like these other native affectations and and it's genuinely like sort of clever and subversive in that way where you know it's like oh oh and then duke gets there and he's like no 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 this is the real thing boys you don't have to put on the you don't have yeah. to put on the paint for the for the tourists like it's like oh that's I like that. I, yeah, I, I, I mean,
1: they're in on it with Duke, and they're all hoodwinking, yes. uh, you know, the, the the marks, and so that that is yes. actually, I, you know, as much as we joke, that is a really refreshing and so not what most of these movies have have done, uh, including, frankly, Raiders itself.
0: Agreed, absolutely. Oh, uh, and I want to mention at this point is where we get uh, we meet a kid who's in this group, you know, this, the 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 natives. Uh, this kid who keeps a pet cobra in a basket. Oh. I point this out because it's going to be important later. Yeah, Chekhov's cobra. So anyway, they are going to they're going to find the ruby. And where's the ruby hidden? Of course, a volcano, Rob. <laughs>
1: yeah. What's inside a volcano, Chris?
0: <laughs> Generally lava, although not in this movie. In this movie, it's just fire. There's a lot of shit on fire in the second half of this oh, movie. Yeah. Holy, yeah, yeah, and. Yeah, the, apparently the ruby is protected by a group called the Guardian Spirits, who may be supernatural, maybe not. We'll see. Or maybe we, maybe we won't. I, I want. You know how they used to it used
1: to be more popular? How you had the like the fridge magnet poetry stuff, where you could just oh sure rearrange yeah. it. I want Italian B movie fridge magnets. So it's <laughs> like you know oh the you know oh gosh the uh, yeah
0: you know the the. the- the guardian sure? spirit the 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 the, the demons gilgamesh. of gilgamesh
1: yes where you could just mix it up and you're like the demons of the guardians and
0: i <laughs> the want gilgamesh of i Heroes. want an italian <laughs> an italian b movie version of um what what's that the game with the phrases it's the the
1: uh, oh uh cards against it, humanity or apples to cards apples cards against humanity yes.
0: i want italian b movies against humanity it would be amazing ah. Yes. Cards Against Humanity, people, call us. We'll uh, we'll we'll put something together. So in the meantime, by the way, all this is going on, and Lee Van Cleef is in a whole other movie. Yep. He is in a whole other movie where he is trying to hunt down weapon smugglers who apparently, it's the same pirate group led by Tiger, they're smuggling weapons in food containers. So like, you know, it's a can of beans, but it's really got bullets in it. A can of peaches with a hand grenade.
1: And and these cans aren't sealed. They're like already sliced open. (laughs) So it's like (laughs) very obvious that there's like a (laughs) giant cut in the can. So it's terrible smuggling. But it does give me... My favorite Lee Van Cleef moment in the movie, where when they're looking and there's a wooden crate that they want to get into, that Lee Van Cleef wants to get into, and one of the other guys, the British guy, says like, oh, you'll need a crowbar for that. Lee Van Cleef just looks at him and then opens the wood crate with his bare hands, just like pulls it open.
0: Because he's Lee Van Cleef. I believe it, yeah. I mean for and for some reason he's dressed in this movie like his character and from a few doll, for a few dollars more. Like I don't know why, but he's dressed straight as well. They, out they of a probably told
1: more. him, Do you have anything in your closet you could wear? And he said, Well <laughs> I, I mean, they gave me the 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 wardrobe from Good Man and the other. They're like, perfect. <laughs> We've knocked that knock knocked that line item down a little
0: bit. It's amazing. So Duke and company are they're headed for the volcano to find the Ruby, and they're walking up this ledge on the side of the volcano. And Maria, the museum curator, <laughs> just falls off the edge of the of the of the cliff, taking Duke with him. Now, there's a sound like the, the fall, there's a fall where they go into this black void. For a moment, it's like, wait, wait, have they fallen into another dimension? And there is the weirdest sound effect. I, It's just, I'm, there's a very weird sound effect at this moment. That's so weird. Super weird. <laughs> oh. So the party splits up and, you know, like Maria, like the, they find themselves in the, just where the caves where they need to be. Cause Maria asks, do you think we got to fall it into the right place? Just like that. <laughs> sure can Marie museum curator. <laughs> like you did exactly where you needed to be. Yeah. It's it amazing. was faded. It was faded. <laughs> There's no there's no lava here, but there is an underground oil reserve. And that's what Tiger's really after because he wants to become the king of Borneo.
1: And just like all underground oil reserves, <laughs> it's on fire.
0: There is it's a <laughs> lake of fire. It's amazing. It's amazing. We do get the guardian spirit showing up, and I'm still like they're like a cross between samurais and Eskimos. Like they have these, like heavy, what looks like wool, uh, you know, and they have samurai swords. Some of them wield like sticks of fire. I think it would be very hot. It looks like a very hot outfit for that, for, for hanging out at the lake of fire. But here's the thing, Rob we never see their faces and we never find out what their deal is. Are they supernatural? Are they just some dudes? We have no idea. I still don't know. I also don't know, and I don't <laughs> think the movie knew. Uh, but,
1: it, it, but much like the movie, I'm like, does it matter? Doesn't <laughs> they, matter. They sh- it's great. They show up. It's great. They anyway. do their part, and uh, you know, we get to have some fighting. So that's really
0: yeah. That. We have some fighting, and we get to the ruby of Ju- doom or gloom, and 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 they get, get out it. of my lake they of get fire. I'm listening to my music! (laughs) Come on! This is
1: my room and my ruby of This It's my lake of fire! What are you doing? (laughs) You You don't respect my
0: lake of fire! (laughs) But they get it! And immediately, Professor Lansky double-crosses Maria. I mean... It's amazing. He gives this monologue, which is this incredible monologue. uh, You know, like when he double crosses, it's like, this is like the, the stuff you dream of as an actor. It's amazing. Now put the ruby down.
3: You're foul, Lansky. You think it matters? Move away. The ruby of gold. Don't you two realize you've been nothing but puppets? Glory of our little museum. Ha! Too small for the ruby of gloom. It needs someone like me to present it to the world. I have the proper ego. So large. (laughs) All science will be at my feet. And will weep when I unveil the plaque in your memory. Maria, starry eyed researcher. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Eaten by savages. So close to her goal. <laughs> Put the gun down, or I'll kill the girl. You put yours down, and I'll knock your stupid teeth in. (laughs) Drop it. Put it down. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Captain Yankee.
1: (laughs) I believe it's called a mic drop, Chris.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but what happens next? He leaves, and I shit you not, he is immediately killed off screen by Tiger and the pirates who tend to take the ruby of doom. We never even see him get killed. All this thing, he's got this big monologue, and then dies, and we never even see it. Turns out, Mom
1: was right. Nobody likes a bragger. You're gonna go down. (laughs) (laughs) Just be a little more modest. (sighs) Come on.
0: And and Tiger gives a big speech where he's talking about, you know, throwing off the shackles of colonialism. And you think like for a moment, I was like, Oh, is that the twist? Is that he's you know, he's actually, you know, the the, the hero uh, the of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's the hero of the movie. But then he starts imprisoning all the people from the village. Like he starts rounding them up and, and putting them in, in, in prison. And he's got like this oil refinery because he's going to refine the oil and sell it to both sides during the impending World War II. And he's he's rounding up these people. They're all in, in the prison, right? Including the boy with the basket and the cobra. Now, Rob, this leads to one of... The most genuinely amazing moments in this film.
1: Now, I, I and I want to say, you know, we all this uh, old movies, all of that. Spoiler alert, big time! If you don't want to know the most amazing thing,
0: if you don't want to know what happens next, pause here and go watch Hunters of the Golden. Co- Hunters of the Golden. We have Co- podcast go watch chapters. Jungle. Just skip to
1: the outro. Yeah. You can find Jungle Raiders. Skip to the outro. Yes.
0: You remember I mentioned the kid from the village with the pet cobra in the basket. Chekhov's cobra. Chekhov's cobra. That kid, along with his village, are now in Tiger's prison. And as they're being put in, one of the guards feels inside the kid's basket and bam, bit by the cobra. And then the cobra slithers away. And the other guards are like, well, there's nothing in this basket. What are you talking about? Like the the guy's dying of a a snake bite. They're like, whatever. And the, the cobra has escaped. And then there's a moment where the Cobra peers around a tree. <laughs> he, peers, he peers around a tree and the Cobra and the kid lock eyes. And I shit you not, share a moment. Yes. And from, from this point forward, the Cobra becomes an active participant in the rescue of the villagers. It's... a It is amazing.
1: The Cobra sneaks back in, takes out one of the guards, comes back to the kid. Yep. Who the kid then talks to the Cobra. Full conversation with the Cobra. Understands the Cobra hissing like it's fucking Benji or Lassie. (laughs) And
0: And, and he's telling the Cobra, I keep telling you, you shouldn't do things like that. And I'm just like. Oh, there's something at the well? Okay, we gotta go. Let's go, Cobra. (laughs) Like. The cobra shows the kid where the cans of food with grenades are in them, so they can use them against the guards. How the cobra knew that,
1: I, I like, I think this cobra might be the golden cobra of inestimable power from <laughs> Hunters of the Golden Cobra before it got covered in gold.
0: It's a snakeus ex machina. <laughs> Uh, so meanwhile Duke and company they make their way to Tiger's prison slash oil refinery and they get know, like a truck or a caterpillar some other piece of industrial equipment and they start fucking up the whole place they got a flamethrower and they are just there's so much stuff on fire in this movie Rob it is just absolute mayhem
1: yes and amongst all of the mayhem at about the hour and 14 mark when they're in I think they're in the jungle of <laughs> an hour and 32 yeah, minute movie an hour 14 mark or so I it's, I, I'm not a hundred percent, but I believe it's a split diopter shot, Chris, where you get the, oh. the three headed shot and I, you can't see the line that great. They've hit it pretty well, but when she turns her head to camera frame, right, her hairline blurs a little bit. Next uh, to Jin Fizz, because Jin Fizz feels like he's way closer. Yeah. So in my mind at least, it's a split diopter shot, which really just makes this movie perfect, uh, for me.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you, know, some, you know, you say that no director can give you everything, but then there's Antonio Margariti, and he gives it to you. He gives it all to you. All to you. Including a museum curator and a talking cobra. I I the kid and the cobra climb up into the the machine and they are just they are Torturing every bad guy they yep. see they are laughing like <laughs> maniacs the whole time they do it it's it's amazing. A- antonio
1: margariti man he will you like he's given you the meal plus an extra one to
0: take home there's so much in this oh movie. my god oh my god and and you know like tiger is all pissed because his oil refinery is destroyed so he goes to see da silva the supplier And then you have this whole sequence where the two bad, two different groups of bad guys are killing each other. And the good guys, they're just kind of off on their own thing because the kid takes a moment to let the Cobra go free to join its Cobra life partner. I know waiting for it in the grass. The
1: Cobra gets to go off into the sunset with the love of its life. And I could not have been happier. It was amazing. (laughs) Amazing.
0: I, I, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing, and it's God, uh, Jin Fizz and Maria. They set more shit on fire because this movie's really about like Cobra Love and and sm- set shit on fire. And Duke and Tiger have a have a big fight. Duke goes after the Ruby of Gloom, and they fight with machetes, uh, which they wouldn't have needed to do if Tiger hadn't used up all his ammunition, just indiscriminately shooting <laughs> into the air. So he doesn't have a bullet for 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 Captain yeah. Yankee. Captain Duke Yankee, uh, Captain please. Yankee throws Tiger... <laughs> <laughs> Captain Yankee throws Tiger off a balcony to his death. Oh, It's about this point that Lee Van Cleef shows up with a bunch of British soldiers. They, they, they come back into the movie after being in their own movie for most of it. And, um, you know, the whole... The, everything goes up in a giant explosion, and you think Duke might have gone too, but then he pops out of the water, Captain Yankee, and he's got the Ruby of Doom. Oh yeah. Or gloom in his hand. Yeah. And oh God, the Cobra. Yeah. The Cobra
1: and Lee Van Cleef when the he cobra comes in. The Cobra Interlude. When he comes at the end, it's it really completes the James Bondness of everything because he he becomes the Felix Lightner the American who (laughs) inexplicably winds up with all the British guys to come save the day. Like he he could have come with Americans, but great. Okay. no, no,
0: no. Oh, that cobra, man. I swear to God, I'll never I'll never see Snakes like flames, it. Snakes and flames, man. Snakes and oh. flames. I do want to mention that in the fictional alternate universe of Quentin Tarantino movies, most notably Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jungle Raiders is one of the movies that the character played by Leonardo DiCaprio, actor Rick Dalton, the star of Bounty Law and the 14 Fists of McCluskey, did in the 1980s. Like Tarantino's charted out. Like Rick Dalton's whole career from beginning to end, up until the character's fictional passing away this year, but one of, he would have actually starred in in uh, in Jungle Raiders rather than Christopher Connolly. Which, to be perfectly honest, I'm okay with because I think Christopher Connolly was the weak link. I would love to see Rick Dalton as Captain Yankee. Oh yes, that'd be amazing. And oh my god, they
1: actually, I believe it's uh, what the Video Archives Podcast is his his podcast with yes. uh, Roger Avery. And, uh, and and Quentin Tarantino, yeah. yeah, and Tarantino, and they have, uh, they did a two or three episode retrospective on Day of the Dalton when
0: he passed. Fictionally, yeah, the career of Rick Dalton in memorial. In
1: the last, the last episode, Jungle Raiders is one of the movies they talk about, and I love they have the conceit because uh, we talked about all the fire that in the firemen, you know, and before he <laughs> had Rick was known for doing yeah. flamethrowers. Supposedly, Antonio Margariti kept trying to get Rick to have the flamethrower in this movie and he kept (laughs) refusing. And so everyone
0: else has to use the flamethrower. And I love that little detail. I love it. No, honestly, I I have an idea for Quentin. Uh, Quentin, if you're out there, here's my, my pitch, a shot for shot remake of jungle Raiders with Leonardo DiCaprio as Rick Dalton, as captain Yankee. It would be amazing make that the regular midnight show at the new Beverly theater and you will sell the house out every <laughs> night, every night.
1: And I, I have to uh, admit Chris, cause Chris texted me this while, uh, you know, before, so <laughs> I was aware and it got me thinking Chris Oh. In a, in a different direction. Oh, I was like, well, who else could remake jungle Raiders? And I was like, oh. so I was going with my thought process. I was like, well, 10 years ago, it's probably the Coen brothers and George Clooney is, is Captain Yankee. Right. right? <laughs> yeah, I can see that. And I was like, I almost went P.T. Anderson Inherent Vice style. But what I settled on is Steven Soderbergh's Jungle Raiders. Remake. Oh so goodness. here's here's the casting Captain Yankee, Daniel Craig. Oh, my God. OK, well, sure. Jin Fizz <laughs> is Jack Black.
0: I had the same thought. <laughs> For my Tarantino version, oh, yeah. I was like, "Oh, Gin Fizz is is Jack Black, absolutely." Yeah. Uh, the Lee Van
1: Cleef <laughs> character, I think, has to be Danny McBride in a, a curveball. <laughs> uh, for Maria, you know, uh, I want Billy Lord. I think. Uh, oh, who, nice. Uh, yeah, you know, was with Booksmart, Scream Queens, uh, totally. all the new
0: Star Wars movies? Uh, I think uh, for her for her untrustworthy assistant, uh, John C. McGinley. Oh yeah, and De Silva.
1: Yep the uh, the double crossing arms dealer. Yes, I I, I wanted John Hamm. <laughs> it's great. Bearded John Hamm. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah. It's, oh god, what a what a what a trio. Uh, I mean, I liked all of these movies. They are just I've become a really big fan of Antonio Margariti. He's one of those directors who his films are never dull. And he does a lot with relatively little, like his use of miniatures is is amazing. And these are just fun movies. Like, you know, it's funny because you see here we are in 2023 and, you know, the box office is littered with movies that are costing $300 million to make. And, and I'm not even saying whether they're good or bad, but it's just like, it's just, it's so much money. And if you could, you know, like here you go back to this, this era of these B movies where you can do it. It's just, it's relatively cheap. Maybe it doesn't all make sense, but God, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I loved all three of these. I absolutely did. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's the era that we live in. Uh, you know, you, you want to hit a home run and, or, or strike out. Those are the only options apparently anymore. Yeah.
0: And I, and I, am not one of those, the good old days were always good kind of people, but like there is, I feel we miss, we miss things when everything has to be, as you say, a home run or a complete strikeout, and and the stakes are so high for every project, and I don't know, I don't know what the antidote is to that, but I I I I'd love to find it. You know, would, make more stuff cheaper. That to me is the answer. Make more stuff cheaper. I honestly, that would be that would I that would be what I would love to do. Is make a lot of stuff cheap, and maybe it's not all perfect. But God, it's going to be fun. Well,
1: and to get a little, uh, whatever, there was an actual MIT study uh, on um, whatever, individual merit and success in life and blah, blah, blah. But I won't bore you with all of the details, some of which uh, really aren't applicable. But one of the big takeaways that they had, because they were looking at this for possible investment strategies, right? Right. And it is the film business. Sure. What they took away was, hey, if someone had a big, great success, don't just say, oh, they did it once. I'm going to throw a pile of money at that person. They actually said the most efficient use of your investment money would be placing lots of little small bets. So Hmm. really a roulette strategy. Yeah, Because they're saying you just don't know where lightning will strike. You can do your best to try and, you know, pick well. But they said lots of small bets because one of them will you have a greater chance of something hitting. Yeah. And the thing is, is that used to be the studio model. That's what they did. No, they always had big movies and lavish productions to a degree. Oh, sure.
0: You're always going to have your Gone with the Wind, yeah. which was the big movie for 1930. That was, you know, that was a big movie. But there's, there was the weekly programmers, you know? It was just like the, you know, what's going to be at the movie house this week? And And I always think to myself, Casablanca, one of the greatest movies ever made, off it was just another weekly. It was not a special movie. Casablanca was just another weekly programmer from Warner Brothers, and it was just you were making so much stuff. It was. And we talked about this a little bit with uh with the, with uh, the TV episode a couple episodes ago. With you know, there was just so much stuff in the in the mill, but some of it's going to be great, and some of it may not be great, but it's going to be fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, you know, if you if you only have a ten percent chance of greatness on any project. I'm, and that's scientific. I didn't make that up off of my head right now. Nope. But you just then make a thousand things and then a hundred of them are going to be great or whatever, you know, to, as opposed to just, I can't believe the three things that we made this year didn't do well. And now we're like, you know, sunk. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's a very risk heavy policy that doesn't allow me to see jungle raiders anymore.
0: <laughs> right. Right. It's and you know that it's funny because that was the that idea of we're gonna make a lot of stuff very cheaply. That was the philosophy that Canon Films pioneered in, in the 1980s. Uh that was the Golden Globus model, and it only started to fall apart when they started to spend what was a lot of money for them, which is my segue to tell you that next <laughs> week we are gonna be talking about canon film productions you're good chris the 1985 <laughs> the 1985 adaptation of king solomon's minds and its sequel alan quatermain and the lost city of gold and we have a very special guest who'll be joining us for that episode austin trunick the author of the canon film guide will be here to discuss these two canon film productions and guy is going to be a terrific episode you don't want to miss it you want to check it out it's going to be great uh, so we are looking forward. We'll have Austin on next week. King Solomon's Mines and Alan Quatermain and the Lost City of Gold. And uh, yeah, this marks the halfway point of our of our Get Me Another Indiana Jones series. With, with this is the fifth episode and out of ten, and uh, we're at the halfway point. And man, it is uh, it has been a good time, and there are more good times ahead. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we are your hosts, Chris Iannacone and Rob Lamorges. And if you've enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and following us on Twitter instagram and now threads at get me another pod tell your friends about the show tell your enemies about the show tell that cobra that you occasionally carry on full conversations with about the show and join us next time as we continue to explore what happens when hollywood says get me another in the adventure
3: we keep dreaming, so rise Come nature, we can frame me as a
2: bird church, oh, it's adventure,
3: adventure. I need you like my rising sun as a venture there comes nature I need you like a bird
2: Like in a tale
3: i well. Man, when you hold my hand, I become the sun. I
2: become the sun. As adventure, as adventure,
3: adventure, adventure, adventure. we keep dreaming to the rising sun. As
0: adventure, as adventure, become nature, become nature we keep oh, Actor Rick Dalton. Star of Bounty Law and the Fourteen Fists of McCluskey. <laughs> just I do want to mention that in, in the fictional alternate universe of... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, we're, we're so close to the end. Don't lose it now. <laughs>